a disagreement is a collision, an ideological crash that occurs when two different personalities drive their agendas along the same issue from opposing directions. And that's not to say that in all uh, disagreements uh, that one person is wrong and the other person is right. Uh, and consequently, a re- resolution becomes especially difficult because, because both people see the issue correctly, but they see it from different points of view. Well, Paul and Barnabas had a disagreement like this. Although there is evidence that these two missionaries reconciled later and the, and the goals and the methods of both were vindicated in church history, Luke indicates that their clash was very painful at the time. And this is going into the missionary journey, the second missionary journey. So let's read it together. Acts chapter 15, beginning in verse 36. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let us go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them, but Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement, that's a key phrase, they had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left, uh, commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord. So after a considerable time of preaching and teaching in Antioch, we don't know for sure how long went by, but Paul goes to Barnabas and he suggests to him, he says, hey, we should go back to those churches that we planted in Galatia and visit those churches and the the ones that we started there on the island of Cyprus and in South Galatia. And one thing you know about Paul when you read his writings is that all through his ministry, Paul maintained a love and a burden and a concern that kept him praying for the churches and the believers to whom he had ministered. So, you know, there's no doubt that this whole time he's very concerned about the churches in Galatia. You remember we talked about how the Judaizers had come into the region and they began teaching that if you wanted to uh, keep your salvation, that meant you had to convert, you had to become a Jew and had to get circumcised. And, and, and there was the, this false teaching that was going on. And Paul, before, as, as he was getting ready to head down to Jerusalem for the council there to deal with the issue, he knew that these teachers had gone up to Galatia to teach in these churches and they were, and he got word that they were stumbling, that they were falling into this trap. So he wrote the, the book of Galatians to them in that time. So now I know for sure, I, I'm just certain Paul, he's just thinking, listen, we've got to get back up there and make sure they're, they're back on the right track. We've got to go strengthen their faith. We've got to go make sure that, the, that they're dealing with this. In fact, one of the things that they were going to do was take the, uh, the ruling the letter that had been given by the Jerusalem council that, that said, no, Gentiles do not have to be circumcised to be saved. And we're, we're told that they actually made that known in the area of Galatia. So, so Barnabas said, you know, Paul, that's a great idea. He agreed. And Barnabas said, you know what, let's go. And I want to take John Mark with us again. And Paul said, whoa, 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 whoa. Wait, he didn't exactly say that. That's my paraphrase. He, he, said, he said, no, I don't think so, Barnabas. He said, you remember the last time John Mark went with us? We barely got off the island of Cyprus. We were getting ready to go into uh, the central part of Asia, Asia there in that province. And, uh, and John Mark decided he was homesick. He deserted us. 
He took off. Now, we don't really know why he left, but we know Paul felt that it was absolutely a betrayal. It was a desertion. And, and Paul said, no, I, there's no way. He, he said he did not believe that it would be a good idea to bring a person who had proven that he could not be counted upon. And Paul and Barnabas so, felt so strongly about this that Barnabas wanted to take him. And Paul said, no, that we're told that they parted company. That does not mean that they broke up their friendship. It doesn't mean that they never spoke to each other again. It just means that they decided, hey, you know what? We feel so strongly about this. We can't go on this journey together uh, because Barnabas basically had the idea, I, I, you know, I, I know I have to take John Mark on this. Paul said, I'm not taking John Mark on this. So they said, okay, let's, let's split up. And the, the word used to describe their disagreement was a word that was used in classic medical uh, language of their day that described sudden violent convulsions. So this is, this is a very sharp disagreement. This is not a, no, I don't want to. Okay, well, you go your way. This was a sharp, it implies red-faced, loud voices, uh, you know, which, you know, people say, oh, we should be like the early church. Well, in a lot of ways we are. We, we still lose our temper, right? And so, uh, you know, the, the air just grew thick with passion as each man convulsed with fiery emotion in response to the other. But here's part of the problem, and here's, What's hard for us to deal with sometimes in the church when there is uh, disagreement. Because listen, if you're going to have more than one person in a church, you're going to have disagreement sometime or another. In fact, if you're like me, sometimes if I'm the only person in the church, I'm still going to have disagreement. Because have anybody here ever argued with yourself? Okay, you know, that's okay as long as you don't lose the argument. I, I don't know. But, but part of the trouble here was both men were right. Paul was thinking back to what had happened in, in Pisidian, Antioch, and Iconium, and in Lystra, and Derbe. And that was, bef- that was after John Mark left. And he was thinking to himself, listen, if John Mark couldn't hang when we were doing the, the stuff that we were doing in Cyprus, which was a piece of cake, what in the world is he going to do when we face situations like we did where, you know, remember how I was stoned, Barnabas? They tried to kill me. You remember these things? How in the world can we trust John Mark in that situation? Because John Mark hadn't even made it to first base on their first missionary journey. And Paul knew the kind of suffering that was coming his way. And he knew that he desperately needed people that he could rely on totally, no matter what what happened. But at the same time, and Paul was right, but at the same time, Barnabas could no doubt see that John Mark on that first journey was just a youngster and that he had simply panicked on the previous trip. He probably now had a chance to settle down and needed another opportunity to show what he was up to, uh, to to show that he was up to at this time. You know, when they went down to Jerusalem, which was where John Mark was from, Barnabas and John Mark are cousins, so there's no doubt they spent some time together. Probably Barnabas saw some growth in John Mark. He saw, you know, some, some spiritual maturity in him, and he came to the conclusion, this young man needs a second chance. See, whereas Paul said the mission was too important to risk on undependable people, Paul, Barnabas was saying, it's all about redeeming people after failure. So you got Paul, it's the mission, it's the mission. And you got Barnabas, it's the people, it's the people. And they're 
both right. So what do you do when you've got a disagreement and, the, and you're both right? Because both men had valid, valid concerns, but their priorities and methods were different. See, the worst disagreements happen when both people are in the right. See, and this is a critical situation because uh, this could be catastrophic for the church and, and uh, the church's mission. But you know what I love about the grace of God and I love about the gospel is that the truth is that even in the midst of this, something fresh came out of all. Because what ended up happening, it was going to be a wonderful thing, this great missionary journey. But you know what ended up happening? Instead of one missionary journey, there were two missionary journeys. Barnabas and Mark went to Cyprus, to the island, which was where Barnabas was from originally. And they were, went to consolidate the work there. And maybe if, if John Mark needed, still needed some maturity, maybe that was the place where he needed to go to, to continue to grow in his ministry. And then Paul took Silas, which was very interesting because remember Silas was somebody who had come from Jerusalem with Paul and Barnabas. He had come up with the letter to make known the decision of the Jerusalem council. So he carried a lot of weight in this situation. So as they're carrying this letter to these churches, it's going to add extra weight that Silas is there anyway. But there's also another thing. How many of you know sometimes God's at work doing things and, and moving, changing circumstances and moving pieces around even when you don't see it? Well, here's the thing. Silas was a Roman citizen. And what Paul or Silas or Barnabas or no one there uh, could understand was that that was going to be an important uh, part of their journey in ways that none of them could have even imagined at that point. So Paul takes Silas and they go on this trip, which turned out to be far more. It turned out to be a lot more than just a revisit to those areas in, in Syria and Cilicia, but instead turned into a whole new venture into uncharted territory. You know what I love about that story? Is that God can take the greatest human folly and sin and bring great good from it. Doesn't mean God causes those things. That's where I love Romans 8.28 because the, the literal reading of Romans, Romans 8.28 says, And we know that God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. It doesn't say that he makes everything happen. It says that it doesn't matter what happened, that God is powerful enough to turn it and to and twist it and to change it and to bring good out of it regardless of what the enemy. It's like Joseph with his brothers. I love the story of Joseph. And you see the grace there because when his brothers, uh, uh, when he finally reveals himself to his brothers and they realize, man, we are in big trouble. This is a powerful man now. He can take his revenge on us if he wants to. He can have us all killed and nobody's going to say a word because he's second in command to the second in command to the to Pharaoh, the most powerful man on earth. And Joseph looks at him and says, don't be afraid. He said, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. That's, that's what's, what, what the gospel can do. So anyway, the brothers in Antioch then released uh, these missionaries and committed them anew to the grace of God. And they went on their way through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening, strengthening the churches. So let's pick it up in verse 16, because this is really the beginning of the second missionary journey. And uh, let me just uh, pass. You can just take one and pass them on. Because there's some places, sometimes I'm going to refer to some things. Some of you might have maps in your Bible, but this is going to help you understand a little bit more of what I'm talking about when we 
talk about the movement as they move through there. And uh, for those that may be later listening to this online, uh, you'll be able to actually download this map right there on our website to be able to look at this information if you want to. So anyway, let's begin verse, uh, chapter 16, verse 1. Paul came to Derby and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was Jewish and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. The believers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. Paul wanted to take him along on the journey, so he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in that area, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they traveled from town to town, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey. That's that letter I was talking about, declaring that they didn't have to be circumcised, they didn't have to follow the law, they didn't have to convert to Judaism to to be saved and to be a follower of Christ. Um, And and that's what they were talking about there. And then verse 5, so the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers. So Paul and Silas visited cities that had been evangelized two or three years earlier, beginning with Derby and then on to Lystra. And you can see there on the map how uh, on the right, very right-hand side there, you see Antioch in Syria. And you see how they went north and went up around the Mediterranean Sea and began to work their way through Cilicia and into Derby and Lystra, into those different provinces. And I've chose this map because the provinces are all different colors. So you're going to be able to see the interplay of some of the things we're going to be talking about uh, tonight. So they're, 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 they move on through there. They move quickly and, and to the churches there, those places, and they get to Lystra. And while they're in Lystra, Timothy shows up on the scene, who becomes an important part of Paul's ministry, important part of the rest of the book of Acts, important part in the, in the history of the church. And so he, here's what we know about Timothy. Here's what we know about his home life. You can read this in, not only here, but also you, we find information about him in First and Second Timothy. But there's so... There's this guy named Timothy who loves Jesus, and his mother, mother also loves Jesus. Timothy, Timothy's mother is a Jew, and she loves Jesus. Timothy and, and, and his mother Eunice, uh, that's her name. We know that from 2 Timothy 1.5. They had been converted to Christianity during the first missionary visit when they were there in Lystra the first time. Now, we also know, however, that his father, Timothy's father, was a Greek And he does not love Jesus. The reason we know this is because of how it's worded. It didn't say his mother was a Jewish woman who was a believer and his father was a Greek. It says, but his father was a Greek. It's showing a contrast saying he doesn't believe the same thing. In fact, actually the language on this seems to indicate that Timothy's father is probably even even dead by now. But, But Timothy basically grew up in a home with a mother who loved Jesus and a father who didn't. In this divided home. And, and Paul shows up in this area. And every time Paul meets in a synagogue. And every time he's teaching in a house te- uh, meeting. The believers there are always talking about this young buck named, named Timothy. And Timothy loves Jesus. He is faithful to Jesus. And he is consumed with Jesus. Which is huge when you consider the fact that you could get killed for loving Jesus back in those days, you know, it doesn't look like it does uh, back then. It doesn't, it didn't look like it does today in our, in our world, in our culture. It was a lot thicker. It was a lot weightier. It was a lot scarier to love Jesus because you could face uh, 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 pain and, and persecution and even death for loving Jesus. But what we know is that wherever Paul went in this, in this pretty large region, this area, People were talking about this guy named Timothy. 
And Paul, you know, he's looking for someone that loves Jesus to join him on his missionary journey. So he walks up to Timothy and says, hey, come with me. Now, when we think of a mission trip, most of us think of things like, you know, 12 days in some place like Mexico, where the worst thing that can, uh, that's going to happen is you're going to get some intestinal malady and end up on the bathroom floor praying and saying, oh, God, just take me home now, you know. Uh, but that's not the mission into which Paul was inviting Timothy. If you don't know what happens to Paul, here's what Paul's life was like on the mission field. Seems like every other boat Paul gets into either sinks or is wrecked. You know, he, on top of that, to my biblical knowledge, he is beaten severely in just about every town, it seems like, that he goes to. And I'm not talking about your run-of-the-mill beating. I'm talking about beating so bad that they thought he was dead and they left him for dead. You know, this is a man who was, who was going to be imprisoned and was going to be beaten with whips and, and, and beaten with, with, with stones. And I mean, all these things. So Paul, in essence, comes to this young, young man named Timothy, maybe 21 years of age at the most by now. And he's saying, listen, Timothy, I'm probably going to get killed before we get to the next spot. It's going to be a long and painful and horrible experience. You want to come? And, and that's the invitation. This is not a 12-day trip. This is, this is the next five years. This is, we don't know how long it's going to take. This is, it may cost you your life. Why don't you come with me? So Timothy says, yeah, I want to go. So he goes to his mother and says, listen, I want to go with Paul on this missionary journey. And I'm sure, as any mom would, she's excited for what God's going to do. But she cries and she holds him. And then Timothy walks up to Paul And if you doubt the faithfulness and love of Timothy for Jesus, and if you doubt his call to the mission field, then just read the next uh, uh, verse with me in verse 3, because it says, Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him, a grown man, because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. So Timothy gets his permission slip from his mama, said, all right, I'm ready to go. And Paul's like, oh, yeah, Timothy, there's, there's one more thing. Don't doubt Timothy's love for Jesus here. I mean, this guy loves the call that he's saying, yeah, this is going to be painful, but if this is what it takes, I'm going to do it. But here's the question. Why, why did Paul have Timothy circumcised? I mean, they just had this big thing about about you don't have to be circumcised to be saved. And he, he stood up for Titus and said, Titus, you know, when they wanted to circumcise him in Jerusalem, they said, why did you, why, you know, and he said, no, he doesn't have to be circumcised. So, I mean, this seems inconsistent with the arguments he had made requiring Gentile Christians, uh, uh, against being, requiring Gentile Christians being circumcised. Let me, let me kind of set the stage and help you understand what's going on here. First of all, as we already know, Timothy's mother was Jewish. His father was Gentile, but, but Jewish blood ran through Timothy's veins thanks to his mother. But in the process of that, he did not receive a, a, a Hebrew upbringing in the synagogue. He received biblical and theological training from his childhood. We read that from First and Second Timothy. But he never became a true son of the covenant through circumcision. And it was most likely because his father, who was not Jewish, was opposed to it. You know, you know, they had uh, 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 
when they went to school, they would call it, it where we get the, the, uh, the word gymnasium from it. And, and so these boys would be in there and other boys would see them. And I'm sure that the, probably the father was like, I'm not going to put him in a position where he's going to be embarrassed. And he refused to have him circumcised. Well, here's what we need to understand. To the Jewish mind, Timothy is a Jew by blood. Okay, you got that? Paul still went to the Jew first in every new city that he visited. Now, for him to take an uncircumcised Jew into a synagogue would be like taking a traitor into an army cap, camp. It would, be, it, would be, it would have been absolutely intolerable to the Jews, and none of them would have listened to anything he said because uh, the people in the region knew that Timothy's mother was Jewish. They knew that his father was Greek, so they doubted that he was truly, had truly uh, had, had uh, been circumcised. And so by Paul doing this, all he was doing was removing obstacles to preach. This had nothing to do with Timothy's salvation. That's the whole key. It, 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 he took him to, and circumcised him. It was not on obedience to the law. And it was not just because Timothy was Jewish, but it, it was to allow him greater access to the synagogues that Paul and Silas knew that they were going to be visiting later on. This was, as I said, not a requirement for salvation. It was a simple matter of expediency and removing barriers because he wanted to make sure that he was able to preach the gospel to the Jews and that they were going to listen to him. And if, if he showed up with Timothy and they knew he was an uncircumcised Jew, they would never have heard it, listened to a single word that he said. So it would bring greater usefulness in the ministry of the gospel. It really illustrates the principle that Paul taught in 1 Corinthians 9.20. He said this, To the Jews I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. In other words, he's saying it has nothing to do with, with my salvation. It has nothing to do with Timothy's salvation. It's about removing barriers that keep people from hearing the truth about Jesus. That's what he was about there. So that's all done. And then Paul and Silas took Timothy with them and they, they hit the road. And they, as they traveled around, they delivered the decision of the Jerusalem council, all the churches. And uh, they were all thrilled and happy and joyful. And we're told that the churches were strengthened in their faith and they grew in number daily. So let's read what happens next. And this is where we're going to get to the map. So we'll see a little bit more of what's taking place. Paul and his companions traveled through, throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, Come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia. By the way, you notice the change in language there. This is this, when they're in Troas, where, where Paul sees this vision, is where Luke actually meets up with him. Probably not planned. Probably would just, uh, quote unquote, happen to be in the same place. And then Luke began to travel with them. We know that because all of a sudden it changes from Paul and his companions traveled to, to Luke. To, he writes, uh, uh, after Paul had seen the vision, vision we got ready at once. To leave. So that's the point. We know Luke joined them in Tro Troas, uh, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. From Troas, we put out to sea and sailed straight for, uh, for some, uh, let me try this one, Samothrace. And the next day we went to Neapolis. 
From there, we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony in the leading city of that district of Macedonia, and we stayed there several days. Now, the Galatian trouble, not just the trouble he had, but the trouble with the false teachers had convinced Paul that he needed to change his strategy. His aim remained twofold. Uh, He wanted to win individuals to Christ, but he also wanted to form churches that would not only endure without him, he wanted to have them, them to have enough foundation that it would be able to continue and not fall into, under false teachers so easily, but also a church that would not only do that, but also would send out missionaries themselves and begin to repeat the process over and over again until the whole world knew Jesus. The Galatians, however, had, uh, had stumbled after, uh, after Paul left. Therefore, he could, he could stay in a uh, central, his plan was to stay in a central po- point in the region longer, and not move from place to place as he had been forced to do in southern Galatia, but he was, the goal that his strategy became to find a city that was positioned to be a pivot of a widespread mission. Now, Ephesus was the capital and the principal port of the rich province of Asia was the obvious choice. Now, if you look at your map, I want you to notice something. Okay, because we've been talking about these different regions, uh, Cilicia and Galatia and Asia and now Bithynia. We brought them in. You can see because it's color coded, you can see these areas. So they, they began moving west and you can see they went all the way up to Antioch. And Paul's plan, his strategic plan, which was a, was a great idea, was to continue moving straight west because he was going to go to Ephesus, which is the capital of that large area of Asia. But we're told the Holy Spirit said, no. Don't go to Asia. So instead of going west, he, they begin to go north. Say, okay, well, the next big region with some major cities, that'd be north. So let's go up to Bithynia. So they travel up to Bithynia. And, uh, and, and, and once they get there, um, <laughs> you, you know, it was, uh, again, the, the spirit of Jesus, we're told, told them not to go. So, they were, you know, the thing was, they were sure that wherever God wanted them, he was going to direct them. And, and if like a shepherd directing his flock to, flock to better pastures by throwing stones, if he hit them with setbacks, then they're not going to complain. Uh, it, but we don't know, you know, when, when the Holy Spirit said don't go into, into Asia, we, we know that they were directly forbidden. We don't know if it was external circumstances, but, but very likely Paul and Silas were forbidden by a definite word of revelation from God. So then, as you can see on the map, then they, they go north, as I said, and they, they set off across the mountains above Pisidian and Antioch and down into Asia where they had, where the, the Spirit hadn't uh, forbidden travel, and they traveled north, and, you know, mile by mile and day by day, going through midsummer heat. It was a tedious, dusty road that had secondary status because it didn't lead directly toward Rome, and they just wound from valley to valley against the lay of the, of the land. And when they reached the border of Bithynia... They're ready to go in and all of a sudden they receive another check. Luke wrote that the spirit of Jesus would not allow them to enter Bithynia. So look at the map. So what do they do? They say, okay, well, we can't go north. Let's go west again. So they start heading west and they, and they go toward Mysia, which is on the very, it's a, it's a region. It's a region on the very north part of Asia. And they start traveling uh, through that area and literally, the Greek literally says they passed by or they skirted uh, Mysia, which, which implies to us that they were not given permission to, to minister in Mysia either. And so they bypassed it as far as preaching the gospel was concerned. Now I want you to think about this 
because I can't even imagine what this is doing to Paul because uh, he made statements uh, along the lines of saying, listen, if I can't preach the gospel, it's going to kill me. This was so powerful to him. And now here he is, he's traveling along, and, and the Holy Spirit is not letting him preach the gospel. And so as they continue to move west, what happens is they just simply run out of land when they get to the coastal city of Troas. And at Troas came another important turning point in Paul's ministry and, and missionary journeys. He had gone to Bithynia, excuse me, had he gone to Bithynia, he might have continued eastward and maybe never even gone to Greece or Rome. But you know what? God had a plan and he had new centers he wanted to establish in Europe and it was left for the other apostles and for other believers to go eastward. God had made a westward call clear in, in a night vision given to Paul in, in, in which a Macedonian stood begging him to cross over to Macedonia to help them. You can see there, Macedonia is that orange straight across from there. And all that the Holy Spirit did got them to exactly the right place so that when the call of God came, they were ready to cross that little strip of sea and get exactly to where God wanted them to be. And immediately, Paul and his companions, now including Luke, sought to go over to Macedonia, concluding that God had called them to preach the gospel to them. And here's what I want to do, uh, because there's a lot in, in here. I want, I want to go back to verse 6, so because I, I want you to see some things here. Verse 6 says that Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia. So you, you can see that on your map there. And then having been, it says, having been kept by the devil from preaching the word in the province of Asia. Is that what it says? Is that what it says? What did it say? Yeah, it wasn't, no. You know, it it was, it was uh, having been kept by the Holy Spirit. But, But it's the phrase here, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching. From preaching, I mean, uh, this is, is such an unusual verse to me. Uh, you know, the Holy Spirit keeps me from doing all kinds of things. Anybody relate with that? You know, and please don't look at me like you have never had the Holy Spirit restrain you. Because I know, I know better. Uh, don't look at me like there hasn't been some word that was about to come out of your mouth. And then something within, within you, the Holy Spirit reached up and pulled it back in as it was about ready to escape. Anybody been in that place? You know, I understand the Holy Spirit keeping me from going off and losing my temper. I understand the Holy Spirit keeping me from certain actions. But, you know, it's hard for me to understand the Holy Spirit keeping someone from preaching the gospel. I mean, isn't that a strange verse? It's a very unusual verse, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching. Now, what we want to do in situations like that is we want to blame the devil because anything that happens in our lives that we don't like, we want to give the devil credit for it. You know, every dream that doesn't come true, it's the devil. You know, and honestly, in some churches and some sermons, the devil's more popular than God. We talk more about him than it's the devil. It's the devil. Well, listen, Paul was the most brilliant preacher alive, maybe ever. There was nobody better equipped to preach the gospel in Asia than Paul. He was trying to do good things. He was trying to strengthen the church. He was trying to build up people in their faith. He was trying to proclaim the gospel of Jesus. In essence, he was trying to do what God had called him to do. 
And he went to Galatia and, and God led him. He went to Phrygia and God led him. But when he tried to go into Asia and the city of Ephesus and, the, Ephesus and then later trying to go into the region of Bithynia and Mysia, the spirit of Jesus would not allow them to go. And I read that and I think, what's up with God holding Paul back from preaching the gospel? Why would God send his son and let him die on a cross? And then when Paul goes to preach the gospel about that, God says no. I mean, Jesus said, go in all the world and preach the gospel. And Paul says, okay. And God says, no, not there. It's very unusual, isn't it? Don't you, does anybody besides me find this unusual? Jesus stopped Paul from carrying out the very commission he had given. And here's the thing I want you to want to, want to talk about. Sometimes we just can't understand what God is doing in the moment. See, it wasn't that what Paul, you know, and I think Paul was mature enough he could understand that God was at work. But, but, but uh, you know, sometimes in this situation, God had a plan. He had a purpose in everything that he was doing, getting him to Troas at the right time, at the right place, all of these things. But sometimes in the middle of our circumstances, we can't understand all that God is doing in that moment. I mean, imagine Paul, you know, saying, I'm just trying to do what you told me to do. Why won't you let me go to Asia and preach? What's wrong with that? Which, by the way, uh, later he did. Uh, later in the journey, even, he went to Ephesus. It was not that, that God didn't want him to preach there. God was saying, it's just not the right time yet. And so what we have to learn is that when God says no, it's not over. In fact, sometimes he says no because there's a greater opportunity that we don't know about yet. In that moment when we're told no, when, when the pain hasn't gone away and the memory hasn't gone away and it hasn't gotten any easier and the seas are, are, haven't gotten any smoother and it doesn't seem to, to be changing any of your circumstances or your situation, but in that moment God came to, to, to give you strength in your spirit, it's not over just because God says no in a moment. Just because God says no doesn't mean that he's left you alone. Some people, God says no, and they think, oh, God's abandoned me. No, just because he says no. You know, the fact is, sometimes he's going to say no just because he's a good father. Listen, he, was, he is with you in the no, just like he was with you in the yes. He knows what's on the other side of the no. So in that moment, don't, don't take your ball and go home because God said no. Because I want you to see what happened here. The Bible says that they had to pass by the places they had planned to go in order to get to, to Troas, right? They planned to go to these places. They had to pass them by. Sometimes you have to pass by your plans to get to God's purpose. They had to pass by their plans to get to God's purpose. They passed by all that they had planned to do to get what God had purposed in his mind should happen. So they end up in Troas, and they're out of land, and all they can do is wait. How many of you know that in, in uh, United States of America, wait is a, like a cuss word? You know what I'm talking about. You, you've been there. Some of you have been. Some of you have been that person at the drive-through that's like, "It's been two minutes. Where's my food?" 
And then, you know, in reply, you want to say, well, you know, it's been two minutes. We want everything now. We don't like to wait. And, and, and that's where they are. They're in this place. They're in Troas. They've just been told no, no, no. Every time they try to go where, where they think they need to go to preach. And, and God is saying no, no, no. And then they get to this place where they run out of land. And they just, all they can do is wait. But while Paul was at Troas, not the place he planned, but the place that God had purposed. He had a vision in the night through a dream. By the way, sometimes we have to get in the dark before we see what we really need to see. That's a whole different message. This vision was of a man from Macedonia standing there begging Paul, please come over to Macedonia and help us. You know what I find interesting about this? God doesn't show up looking like an angel. He showed up looking like a need. You know, we, we want to see God. We want to hear from God. And we're like, oh, God, if I could just see an angel. But you know what? Maybe God might be speaking to you about your next season in life, your next season in ministry in the context of the need that's standing right in front of you. Maybe God's uh, going to show you a need so that you can see what you've had all along that you have not been using. And after Paul sees the vision, Luke says they got ready at once and left for Macedonia. And they arrived at Philippi, the place they hadn't planned for, but the place where God wanted them all along. Philippi became the place where the, the first place in Europe where God established or where Paul established a church. In fact, it was the first place in the Western world that Paul established a church. And those of us in the Western world, you sitting in this church today, we are part of a church that started because God told Paul, no. He sent him west. He sent him and, and changed Europe. Led to the founding of America and now missionaries have, sent, have been sent all, uh, from America all over the world. It's all part of the purpose of God. But here's what I want you to, want to say tonight. And we're going to close with this. You know, if God says no, which anybody ever heard God say no? Has he ever said no to you? Yeah. Are you, are you like me where sometimes you just feel like a bratty kid and you want to throw a little temper tantrum a little bit once in a while and just say, why not? <laughs> but, but if God says no, here's what we got to understand. There's something that he knows that I don't know. There's something that he sees that I can't see. You know, I, I, I told somebody uh, just yesterday, I was telling them a story about a friend of mine from Bible college. His name is Tom. And when he was a little guy, maybe three years old, his dad took him to the, to the park one day and there was like a, a rock outcropping that, you know, had a lot of different little uh, ledges that kids would climb on. And he was just a little three-year-old guy, and he started climbing on the rock. And he said, he said, man, I just was climbing away, just going at it, going crazy. And he said, suddenly, I realized uh, I'm, I'm, I've, I've been climbing this rock for, seemed like forever to him. And he said, I suddenly realized I don't know how to get back down. So he's there, and he's, you know, just clinging for dear life on this rock. And he starts yelling out, Daddy! His, his dad's behind him saying, yes, son. He said, help me get down, help me! His dad says, well, son, just step back. 
He said, I can't, I can't, I'll fall. Help me get down. And the dad said, son, just step back. And he said, I can't, I'm going to fall. You got to help me, daddy. And he says, son, would you just trust me? Just step back. And finally, he stepped back. And that's when he found out he was only about six inches off the ground. Why didn't he know he was six inches off the ground? Because his face was on the rock wall. That's all he could see. He couldn't see the big picture. He couldn't see what was going on around him. He couldn't see where he even really was. He thought he knew, but he wasn't where he thought he was. And that's the way it is in life, that sometimes God says no because he knows things that we don't know. He sees things that we don't see. And we think we're in this rock-hard place. We think we're in this place where there's no hope. And he says, step back! And finally, when we get the courage to do it, we find out either we were six inches off the ground or he was just waiting to catch us the whole time. See, if God says no, there's something he knows that I don't know. And that's what makes him God. And that's why I serve him. He doesn't serve me. And I I just wonder today what's on the other side of your no that you're going to miss if you get disappointed and walk away from his purpose in your life. I'll close with this statement. If you receive God's yes with praise... Why not receive his no with trust? If you receive God's yes with praise, why not receive his no with trust? Amen. Let's pray. Father, there's not a one of us in this place that likes to be told no. And sometimes, God, we feel like we're trying to do the right thing for the right reason. And still, God, you say no. And Lord, I pray in those moments that we would... We would learn from Paul and Silas and Timothy and that God in that moment that we would, uh, we would just say, okay, Lord, I trust you. I know you're going to direct me. And if you say no, it's because there's something that you know that I don't know. There's something that you can see that I can't see, that there's a purpose behind what's, uh, what's taking place that goes beyond my plans. And so, Lord, I will abandon my plans so that I can fulfill your purpose in my life. And God, if there's anybody here in this place that's been in that place of disappointment and begin, has begun wrestling with saying, I, I just don't know. I'm just going to quit. I'm just going to give up. I'm just going to take my ball and go home because I don't see anything happening. God, I pray that you would just encourage them and remind them, God, that, that your no does not mean that it's over. Your no does not mean that you're not going to continue working. Your no does not mean that you've abandoned them. But your no means that there's something better that you have for them, that there's a purpose that you're trying to accomplish that goes beyond our own puny little plans and our own puny little desires. And God, I pray that you would help them tonight to to press into you and say, Lord God, I will praise you in the yes, but I'll trust you in the no. And I give you thanks, God, for what you're going to do. And I thank you for the strength that you're going to give to your people. Lord, help us to trust you more. We ask it in Jesus' name, I pray. Amen.